end with that. It's going to tie into our, our message this morning a little bit, and so I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 8. We're continuing on through our study in the book of Romans, and uh, we're going into chapter 8 today, and um, just uh, so many, so many just wonderful things through Romans so far, and as we get into chapter 8, it just, it just continues on as each week as I study. I just I get excited about what we're able to share that week from, from God's Word. And um, the first thing, the first point today uh, that we want to talk about is escaping condemnation. Escaping condemnation. Notice what it says in chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And boy, could we say amen there. We could stop the service with that one half of a verse. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It's, the, the, the therefore is no condemnation. is carrying the idea of justification. We saw in chapter 5 uh, in verse 1, uh, Paul mentioned there, uh, he said, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we get into chapter 8 and it's tw- twisted around and put into the negative. There is no, now no condemnation to them which are in uh, Jesus Christ. The declaration of Paul comes uh, with us being found where? In Christ. In Christ. How do, how do we escape condemnation? We escape condemnation not by our good works. Paul's already dealt with that. Not by following the law. Paul's already dealt with that. Not by being a Jew. Paul's already dealt with that. All the things that people would seek to find their, the fact that they would not be condemned in are things that do not work. Where do we find that escape from condemnation? We find it in the work of Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus our Savior. That's how we escape that. Guzik says this, he says, The verdict is not less condemnation. That's where many believe they are, thinking our, our standing has improved in Jesus Christ. Our standing has not improved, been improved, it's been completely transformed. And, and I love that quote by Guzzi because, because I think so often we feel like that. We feel like, okay, you know, I, I'm in Jesus Christ. I've accepted the Lord as my personal Savior. I, I stand in an improved place before God today. Well, no, you don't stand in an improved place. You stand in a place that is totally, completely transformed from the spot you stood right before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because we stood, what? Condemned. That's where we stood. We stood as one, as the scripture says, who, who if, we, if we follow the whole law but yet offend in one point, we're guilty of all. That's where each one of us stood. We stood there, condemned, guilty before God until Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross, took <coughs> our place, took my place, took your place, shed his blood, went to the cross, had the Father, as we just sung about in, the, in that song, where, where the Father put His wrath on the Son instead of on us. And Jesus Christ did that for you and me so that I can stand today completely transformed and stand not condemned. Now folks, if we are not condemned because we are in Christ Jesus, then the opposite is true as well. We are condemned if we are not in Christ Jesus. And folks, sadly, that's where we find most people in the world today. 
People in the world today stand condemned, folks. Condemned to an eternity in hell if they do not find the Jesus Christ that we have found. And, 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 so, and, and so really, two, two thoughts here just as we kind of enter into this section. Number one, uh, we need to be thankful that we have escaped that condemnation. We should never take for granted our salvation. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm guilty sometimes too, folks. You have a testimony service, and somebody gets up to the testimony service, I just want to thank the Lord I'm saved, and we think, well, that was an easy testimony. But you know what? We shouldn't take that for granted. We should be thankful that somebody gets up to the testimony service and testifies, I thank the Lord I'm saved, because there's been a transformation that's taken place in their life. But at the same time, we should be thankful because of that transformation that's taking place in our life, it ought to also encourage us that we need to share that with others so others can escape. So others can escape. It, it would be horrible to have the answer to some problem and keep it to ourselves and not share it. And we have the answer to the problems in this world today, folks. You realize that. We, we contain... Those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, inside of us, we have the answer for the world today for every problem. Every problem. Whatever it is, we have the answer. Discouragement. Financial woes. Health issues. Broken families. We have the answers, folks. They're in God's Word. We just need to share them with other people. And so we have that responsibility. So point number one today is escaping the condemnation. Point number two, as Paul goes on into verse two, is escaping the law of sin and death. Notice what he says in verse two. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. Verse one tells us that we are free from the guilt of sin, and verse 2 tells us that we are free from the power of sin. Catch that, folks, if you will. We are, number one, we are free from the guilt of sin. We are no longer condemned. We don't have that condemnation on us because we are in Christ Jesus. But now verse 2 tells us that because we are in Christ Jesus, we are free from the power that sin wields, the power that sin held in our life. Notice what he says. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. Phillips illustrates this. I was reading his commentary this week, and he gave a great illustration for this idea. If you would picture a coin that has been dropped off of a tall building and it is falling to earth, it falls, why? Because of gravity. I'm not a scientist, but I know that much. Okay, so the coin is falling because of gravity. And suddenly, uh, an arm reaches out and catches the coin and lifts it back up to the top of where it's been dropped. Now, the law of gravity is not no longer in effect. The law of gravity is still in effect. If that coin was let go again, it would, be con it would continue to drop. But a greater law came in, caught that coin, and lifted it up. And that's what we are talking about here in this passage. We're talking about a greater law than the law of sin and death. Why? Because Christ conquered death. 
Christ, that's one of, the, one of the key things about Jesus going to the cross, shedding his blood, being buried in the grave, and rising again the third day was that he conquered death. The other people that are worshipped in this world did not conquer death, folks. Only Jesus Christ conquered death. And so the Bible tells us because he conquered death, he does what? He holds the keys to death and hell. He has a greater power than the power of sin and death. And so Paul, understanding that, he says here, listen, if you live in the spirit of life that's found in Jesus Christ, you, you are free from the law of sin and death. It does not have the authority in your life. Paul has spent a lot of time, has he not, spent a lot of time dealing with the power, authority, and dominion of sin in our lives. We've been in it for two and a half chapters now. Why? Because it's something we all struggle with, folks. Every one of us struggles with allowing sin to wield power in our life that it's not supposed to have. It is not supposed to have dominion in my life at this point. Why? Because I've been bought with a price. And I have a new spirit in me, and so I'm not supposed to walk after the flesh. And so Paul spends a lot of time dealing with this idea of the fact that if we are, walk in the Spirit, uh, we're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Uh, according to, to, to Guzik, he, talking about this, this, uh, the, the law, he says the law can guide us, teach us, and tell us God's character. It can give us the standard, but not the power to please God. Why? Because Paul tells us in verse 3 why. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So let's think about what Paul's saying here. He's saying, he says, the law is weak. Why? Because the law is found in the flesh of man, in fleshly man. We are weak characters. What does the scripture tell us? I can do all things through really gutting through it. No, that's not what the scripture says. I can do all things by being really determined. No, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says I can do all things, what? Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And so in the flesh is weakness. And that's what our struggle is. We struggle with that weakness in the flesh. And Paul says, listen, what the law could not do and that it was weak, God did. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. How did God overcome all of this? How was the law overcome? How was this dominion of sin? How was this power of sin overcome? It was overcome because God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. That's how it was overcome. And he sent him in the flesh. In the flesh. Put simply, the law can detect sin, but only Christ can defeat sin. See, that's the difference, folks, between the law and trying to follow the law. All the law does is show us where our sin is. We've already had this discussion in previous weeks. The law shows us where we are guilty. The law is a standard, a guide. It shows where we're guilty, but it can't fix our guilt. The law can do nothing to fix our guilt. But Jesus Christ can. 
Jesus Christ came. Because what did he say he came to do? He said, I came to what? Fulfill the law. Christ came, folks, to fulfill for us what we could not fulfill in and of our own strength. Where our weakness was and we couldn't fulfill the law, Christ came and fulfilled the law. And that's what Paul's talking about there. That's why we're able to escape the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ fulfilled the requirement of payment for sin. And since we are found in Him, we are fulfilling the law through Him. That's why in the song we sang, Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in His righteousness, I'm justified. See, folks, we've got to understand, we've got to get past thinking that anything we have done has helped our weakness in the flesh. It is nothing that we have done. It is all because of what Jesus Christ did. And we are found righteous because of His righteousness, not our righteousness. And we've got to understand that. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, we can fulfill the righteousness of the law, but not in our own flesh, by walking in the Spirit. By walking in the Spirit of God. That's how we fulfill it. We fulfill it by being found in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about this relationship that's there, this union that's there between us and Jesus Christ, and that's where we find our righteousness. And that takes us to point number three today. Point number three is pleasing God by walking in the Spirit. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Now, folks, that leaves us with a question. What things do we mind? What things do we mind? Because that's what he says. He says, for they that, that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What is it that we set our mind on? What is it that we set our focus on? Is our mind, is our focus on things of the flesh? Or is our mind and our focus on things of the Spirit? You know, this, the Scripture is very clear, folks. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But where is our mind? Where is our focus supposed to be? Seeking the kingdom of God first. See, folks, I, I used to t when, I, when I would teach in Awana, I, I used to do a little, a little illustration about that verse. And you, you, bring in two, you bring in two, I should have brought them. You bring in two mason jars, I should have done it, but I didn't think of it till now. But you bring in two mason jars, and you have one that you fill with, with sand about halfway up, and, and, and that's, the, that's the things of the flesh. And then you try, to, you try to squeeze things that God wants you to do in on top of it with rocks, and they, they don't all fit. And then you have one jar where you put the rocks in first, and then you put the sand in. And it's amazing where you couldn't fit it all in the one jar to begin with. Now it all fits in the jar, the rocks, and the sand. 
Why? Because it depends on the order you do things. If you do things one way, it doesn't all fit. If you do things another way, it all fits. What does the scripture tell us? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these other things will be added unto you. See, but the problem is, folks, we like to fill our jar first with the things we want to do. The things I enjoy in life. The things I want to focus on. And then God maybe gets into the jar part way. Where if we fill our life with what God wants us to do first, the other things will fit as well. And you say, well, maybe they won't all fit. Well, you know what? The Lord may also change some of that focus when we focus on him first. And so we may not have as much a desire for some of those things to fit either because the Lord can change us. But what's the point? The point is, what is our focus on? Is our focus on God and spiritually spirit-minded, or is it on the flesh? You know, it's interesting because sometimes even in trying to do the right things, we can be fulfilling the flesh and not the spirit. You remember when Jesus Christ and Peter had a conversation about Christ going to the cross? And, and Peter, Peter was trying to tell Jesus to avoid the cross. Don't go to the cross. And do you remember what Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16? He told him this. He said, Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now, Peter was looking out for the Lord. He didn't want Jesus Christ to go to the cross. We would all say, that's a great thing. But Peter was in the flesh because Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. He had to go there so that he could fulfill what we're talking about today, the fact that he fulfilled the law. He had to go to the cross. So Jesus looks at Peter, who thinks he's defending the Savior, and he says, listen, you're worried about the things of man and not the things of God. And I just wonder, how many times could that be said of us? Ken, you're, you're worried about the things of man, not the things of God. Pretty condemning, isn't it? <laughs> we think about it. How often could Jesus, if he would do it, point his finger at us and say, you're worrying about the things of man and not the things of God? It's Pretty humbling when you think of it that way. Paul says, listen. He says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. We need to... Savor. You notice the word Jesus used? He used the word savor. He says, thou savorest not the things of God. So what's the reverse of that? To savor the things of God. Jesus said, listen, you need, you need to savor after the things of God. Whenever I, I hear the word savor, I, th I think of, of something that tastes wonderful. And to me, the word savor is always associated with salt. Because I, I salt everything I eat, pretty much. I love the taste of salt because salt adds what? It adds flavor. And so I, I, my kids all the time say, are you having a little bit of that with your salt? You know, but I, you know, I like a lot of salt because I like a lot of flavor. And so I hear the word savor. I, I, I think of something that's flavorful, something that's wonderful. And, and Jesus Christ says to Peter, listen, you need to savor the things of God. We need to have a desire for things. It's just like the, like the psalmist said when he talks about the deer panting after the water brook. Just as the deer who, who is desiring a, a, a drink of cold, cool water from the stream, just like that deer, we need to savor the things of God. That's why I also believe the psalmist says, taste and see what that the Lord is good. 
taste and see. Try him out. And you're going to find him to be good. That's what the psalmist said. And so Paul here is trying to help us understand what things do we mind? What things are in our head? What things are in our spirit? And then he adds this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want you to notice the, the two consequences based on our mindset. If our mindset <coughs> is to mind the things of the, of the flesh, those are carnal things, and that leads to death. Or if our mindset is spiritually minded, that leads to life and peace. Isn't it interesting that the spiritual mindset leads to two things that people spend their whole life looking for? We've all heard the stories, what, of right, the fountain of youth, right? What's the idea behind the fountain of youth? It's, it's long life. That's the idea. It's long life. A life like when I'm young. When I have energy, when I, when, I, when I look, I never look good, but, but you know, when I look, you know, that's the fountain of youth, right? You're, you're frozen in time. You never age. You never get old. You never get aches and pains. You found the fountain of youth. People look for that all the time, do they not, folks? They're not, we're not looking for an actual fountain in this day and age, but what are we looking for? You look at the world and the products that are advertised that are supposed to keep us healthy and youthful and good-looking and all these things. I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry to try to help us still look good when we're older. People look for that life. And how many people spend their whole life searching for peace? Peace. And they can't find it. Because so often, they're looking for peace in the wrong places. Remember Solomon? He's got an entire book of the Bible that talks about the search for happiness and joy in his life. And we go through that, you can go through the book of Ecclesiastes from the start of the book to almost the very, very end. And, and Solomon is trying to find happiness, joy, and peace in all these different arenas. And none of them bring peace. As a matter of fact, what does he say about all of them? He says they bring vanity, emptiness. Not only is it not peace, but it's actually emptiness. That's what he determines as he goes through all these different things in life. The things that people still try today, folks. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. This world is full of people that are trying the things that Solomon tried. Money, power, wealth, women, folly. That's the same things that people try to find peace in today. And it's not found in those places. And finally... Thank the Lord, Solomon came to that conclusion by the end of the book that you don't find it in those places. But see, folks, it's something that the world is searching for. And what does Paul tell us? You can have it. You can have life, and you can have peace if you're spiritually minded, spiritually focused. If your focus is on God, not on you. You can have what everybody is looking for. That's what Paul tells us. And then he goes on a little further, and notice what he says in verse 7. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is enmity against 
God. I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say the carnal mind is at enmity with God. He says the carnal mind is enmity against God. In other words, the carnal mind is the enemy. The enemy of God the Father. So folks, when we are carnally minded, when we allow that mindset in our life, we put ourselves in the position of being the enemy of God. That's what Paul tells us. When we have that mindset, when we have that carnal mindset, we are putting ourselves in position of being the enemy of God the Father. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. What's he talking about here? You can't, you can't tame the carnal mind with the law of God because the carnal mind is fleshly. It's not going to be able to obey the law. So he said that the, the carnal mind can't be controlled by the law. You're not going to find your solution to the carnal mind in the law. In other words, the law is not going to help us overcome the carnal mindset. That's not where it's going to be found. It's going to be found by living in the Spirit as God calls us to live in the Spirit. The flesh does not want to live out what the Scripture tells us. If you turn over to Galatians, uh, just for a second, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, And they that are Christ have what? Crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we belong to Jesus Christ, if we claim that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then we belong to Jesus Christ, and our job is to crucify the flesh. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put it to death. Put the old man to death. That's what we are commanded to do in the Scripture. The flesh does not put itself in subjection to God. Go back a, chapter to, a couple chapters to Romans chapter 6, and let's just read a few verses that we've already covered. Romans chapter 6, starting verse 13. It says, Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that we, ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded yourselves servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness listen folks the flesh does not want to submit but paul says we have to make a determination who are we going to yield ourselves to are we going to yield ourselves to god or are we going to yield ourselves to the flesh that's the determination we have to make and then he adds this simple statement in verse 8 and it's a very short verse but very powerful it says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Folks, I don't know about you, but I want to please God. 
I want to please God with my life. I want him to someday be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But the only way that is going to happen is if I make choices about who I yield myself to and I determine in my life that I'm going to yield myself to him. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. It's not just going to happen because I hope it happens. It's going to happen when I yield myself to the Lord and say no to the flesh. When I crucify that old man, put him to death, and say I'm not doing that anymore, that's when it happens. And until that point, I'm going to struggle with the carnality of my old flesh. Stott in his commentary summarizing this whole passage. I, I just want I thought it was a really good way to understand the contrast that Paul gives us in this in this chapter so far. So I just want to read you a paragraph uh, from Stott. It says this. It says, to sum up, here are two categories of people: the unregenerate who are in the flesh, and the regenerate who are in the spirit, who have two perspectives or mindsets: the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit, which lead to two patterns of conduct living according to the flesh or according to the spirit, and result in two spiritual states, death or life, enmity with God or peace with God. Thus, our mind, where we set it and how we occupy it, plays a key role in both our present conduct and our final destiny. That's a pretty good way of terminating, putting all that into just one succinct paragraph. I mean, basically, folks, we, we, we are faced with a choice. And the choice is where are we going to place our mindset, our focus? Where are we going to yield ourselves today? And we have two choices. We're either going to yield to the spirit or we're going to yield to the flesh. And that's what we have to decide, folks, each and every day, time and time again. When faced with temptation to sin, when the old man rears his ugly head, we have a choice to make. Where do we yield ourselves? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. We come to the end of the service. Very, very simple passage of Scripture, but boy, very powerful. When, when Paul says, listen, if, 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 if you live this way, you cannot please God. Uh, that's pretty powerful verbiage. And um, that leaves no room for error. It's not that you might not please God. It's you cannot please God. And so we've got, we've got to understand, folks, that, that this is an important aspect. Where, where is our focus? To whom do we yield ourselves? Are we an instrument of righteousness? Or are we, folks, an instrument of sin and instrument of Satan? Where, where are we? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. As uh, Judy begins to play, we just have her play through a, a verse of a song today. If the Lord spoke to your heart and you need to do, spend some time in prayer. The altar is open. We wait just a moment.